0: Now, it's important for us to see that our confidence is not simply that God is everlasting, it is that our God is the eternal God, the God who exists beyond time and holds time in his hand. He is the God who simply is.
1: Welcome to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths, and uh, today we're going to take a look at our eternal God, and uh, Jonathan, I'll admit right up front, I can maybe try and get my brain around the fact that from this point forward into all of eternity, God exists and so will we. But to think that there was never a beginning to God whatsoever, I mean, to me that's just a mind-blowing thing, but yet that is what Scripture says.
0: It is indeed what Scripture says, and as you say, it's very hard for us as finite creatures to conceptualize that, and I don't think we should be surprised that there are limits to our understanding here. We are talking about the Creator God who is immensely great and glorious and whose thoughts are far higher than our thoughts. But it is helpful. I think it's important for our faith to venture into what the Scripture teaches on this theme because it calls us to trust in a God who is so much bigger than us, who holds time in his hand who never began and will never end. And when we gain some sense of understanding that God truly is the eternal God, it calls us and enables us to trust him at a deeper level. And I, I hope that will be the case for you today as you listen.
1: Well, we're going to begin our message today as we take a look at the eternal God. Hope that you'll stay with us. Here is Jonathan.
0: I think it's true to say that many of our difficulties in the Christian life— many of our challenges in church life stem from the fact that we don't really know God as we ought to know him. We don't see him as he is. We don't understand him as he has made himself known to us in the pages of his word. And our constant danger for each one of us is that we will have a view of God that is too small too domesticated, too much formed by personal opinion and cultural assumption, and not nearly enough formed by the teaching of the Scriptures through which God has made himself known to us. Today we embark on this new teaching series on the attributes of God. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon once wrote that the highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name, nature, person, the work, the doings and the existence of the great God whom he calls Father. I know nothing which can so comfort the soul, so calm the swelling billows of sorrow and grief, so speak peace to the winds of trial as a devout musing upon the subject of the Godhead." Well, Spurgeon is surely right. And I trust that we're going to see together the benefit of investing some time over the coming weeks in considering God Himself, who He is, and what He is like. We begin this morning, as I've said, with the eternity of God the truth that God in His being transcends time and is uniquely eternal. That's obviously a foundational idea for us, it's obviously a vital truth. For us to explore and to begin to understand, Psalm 90 opens with a resounding affirmation that the God of Israel is the eternal God. The God whom his people have known for generations is the God who has always been. Verse 2 Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God's eternal being, it stands above and before the creation itself. That's the concept, that's the idea that the psalmist is celebrating here. And it's an idea that is affirmed throughout the scriptures. Deuteronomy 33 and verse 27, The eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 17, Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. God is eternal. That's what the scriptures teach us again and again and again. But what does that really mean? What does it mean for God to be Eternal. Well, at its very core, the claim that God is eternal means that he is unbound. He is unlimited with respect to time. You and I, of course, are time-bound creatures living always between an unchangeable past and an unknowable future. That's essential to who we are in and of ourselves, but not so for God. Time is part of his creation, that which he made. And as maker of the world, he can be bound by no part of his creation. Consider how the book of Genesis opens. In the beginning, God created. It makes sense to assume that the beginning there is the beginning of time. That's when the stopwatch, if you like, starts rolling. And for that watch to move and keep moving, there need to be the conditions that God establishes on the first day. Genesis 1 and verse 3. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. You see, it takes days and nights, light and darkness, the rotation of the earth for time to be counted. As far as we can understand it from the study of physics, on which I'm no expert, time and space and matter, they all function together. Without the existence of matter and space, there can be no time. Time itself, it's part of God's creation. But his own existence, it stands above and before the creation. And so his own existence in eternity is timeless in itself. Now, even the very idea of time is something that we struggle with, struggle really to grasp. I don't just mean those of us who are bad with timekeeping, poor at punctuality, those who struggle ever to hand in a paper on time, those for whom the morning alarm clock is always an invader, and an enemy. (laughs) All of us, whatever our relation to time, struggle to fully understand the notion of time. Augustine once famously said, what then is time? If no one asks me, I know. If I wish to explain it to him who asks, I know not. You see, we may have an instinctive sense of time, but we struggle to articulate what it really means. But as time-bound creatures, if we struggle with the notion of time, we struggle all the more with the notion of eternity. We can't really imagine any kind of experience or existence or reality that is not defined by time. The very concept of eternity almost overwhelms our rational capacity, but that is exactly who God is. He is eternal. Now, that means that the definition, as far as we're concerned, of God's eternity must be an essentially negative thing. He's not limited by time. He is not bound by time. We can't fully say what eternity is, and so we have to content ourselves by being clear about what it is not. But God's eternity is central to who he is. It's central to our understanding of him When Moses asks to know God's name, how it is that he is to speak of God before Pharaoh, you'll remember what the Lord says to him. Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14, I am who I am. That's who God is. God is the great I am. Full stop, nothing to add, nothing to take away. He is the absolute existence. No development, no change, no growth. No reduction, nothing relative, in no sense constrained. He simply is. Now, when he comes to earth and enters human history in the the incarnation, Jesus, the son of God, claims this same identity and characteristic for himself. John chapter 8 in verse 58, I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was, I am. Abraham had a beginning, even the great Abraham, but before him, not I was, but I am. Absolute existence, unbound by time. Part of the reality of being time-bound creatures is that we experience everything in a kind of progression, in a linear way. We move from moment to moment, encountering new realities all the time and changing all the while as we pass through time. But it's not like that for the eternal, the unchanging God. As one theologian put it, God has no succession in his duration. He dwells in one individual point of eternity. He enjoys his whole eternity every moment. Or as another put it, he possesses the whole of his existence in one indivisible presence. See, God stands above time as the eternal one as the creator of time. But it's also wonderfully true that the eternal God interacts with us in time. He is present. He is involved in the world, encountering us time-bound creatures. And we marvel at the fact that in the person of his son, the eternal God has entered human history in a very special way. God speaks to us in history. He reveals himself in history. He makes promises. He gives warnings. He responds to the sin and the rebellion and the repentance of his people. He is patient in the unfolding of his will. Yes, he engages us with us in time and in the progression of time. All that is true, but at the very same time, he remains the eternal one.
1: You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths and a message called The Eternal God. It is part of our series, Who is Like Our God? We're going to pause here, but we'll get back to the message in just a moment. If you happen to join us late, have to leave early, or you want to go back and listen to this broadcast again, you can always do that at our website. Come to EncounterTheTruth.org, where you can stream the program or download an MP3 for free. That's at EncounterTheTruth.org. And while you're at the website, you can check out our weekly e-devotional. You can also sign up for our newsletter and find links to social media, even our YouTube channel. And when you're on YouTube, I hope you'll like and subscribe to the channel. That way you'll be up to date anytime we post some new content on there. But whether you listen to this program on the radio, online, through the app, or maybe you've even found us through YouTube, however you've connected, we're glad that you're here and I want to let you know that encounter the truth depends on your generosity to keep Jonathan's teaching available on this station, as well as all the other ways you may have connected with us. So I want to ask you as we close in on the end of this year to consider a generous year-end gift. I know a lot of us are thinking about year-end giving, and maybe you're still considering giving a gift to a ministry this year. Would you consider adding Encounter the Truth to your list? You can give a gift online at encounterthetruth.org or when you call us at one. 1- Eight three three ninety nine truth That's one 833 Or again, the website is EncounterTheTruth.org. All right, let's get back to our message. Again, it's called The Eternal God. Again, here's Jonathan.
0: Now, this distinction between time and eternity, it's not something we can pin down very well. But various people have tried to at least illustrate it in different ways. So, for instance, consider the difference between a river through which water travels and a lake or an ocean in which it is held. You and I, as human beings, we experience our own existence in time as a river. Time flows, and we only see or touch any part of it at any given moment. It's never static, it never stops. As the great hymn puts it, time like an ever-rolling stream bears all its sons away. They fly forgotten as a dream dies at the opening day. Time is for us a river, but for the eternal God, the whole of history is more like an ocean or a lake. He can see and comprehend the whole in a way that you and I never could in our very finite existence. It's there, all gathered before his eternal gaze. When we're told that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, it's not simply that God was there at the beginning and he will be still there at the end. No, his eternity encompasses it all. He is the beginning and the end, even now. That's why God can make statements like the one found in Isaiah 46 in verse 9. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from the earliest times, what is still to come. I say, My purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. Unlike you and me, God doesn't look back wistfully on the past. He's not consumed by the present, He's not troubled in waiting for the future. He sees all of time as a vivid whole before his eternal gaze. He sees the creation. He sees the fall. He sees the flood. He sees the call of Abram. He sees the monarchy of Israel. He sees the exile. He sees the incarnation. He sees the early church. He sees the medieval period. He sees the Reformation. He sees the great world wars. He sees our assembly here today. None of history is lost or filed away in a dusty cabinet for God. As the psalmist says here in Psalm 90 and verse 4, For a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Now, perhaps the closest you or I will ever get to that kind of experience is that moment when we finish reading a book, a novel. One writer offers this illustration. You get to the final page, reading a long novel, and before you put the book down, before you put it back on the shelf you sort of flip through the pages, reminding yourself of all that's taken place. And if you were awake as you read the book, not dozing off as I so often am when reading a novel, but if you were alert and paying attention, you flip through the pages and as it were, you see the whole story as a unit for a brief moment. You capture it all together in your mind's eye. Perhaps that's the closest you and I will ever get to the way in which the eternal God sees the history of the universe. Now, I don't pretend to be able to understand or fully conceptualize all those things. And there are limits to our understanding of God's eternity because he hasn't told us everything. But from what the scriptures do tell us, these things must be true of the eternal God who made time, who is himself eternal in his being, who never changes, who knows the end from the beginning. But what then does the eternity of God mean for us? What are the implications of this very great truth? Let me suggest four. Four things that the eternity of God gives to us and means for us. First of all, the eternity of God gives us confidence. Confidence in God and in his word. I don't know if you ever feel this way, but I tend to think that one of the most high-trust relationships we have in our lives is the relationship that we have with our dentist. You know, we need to trust and believe that the person, the man or woman, who's allowed to wield needles and drills within our open mouth, we need to believe that they are competent, we need to believe that they are kindly disposed toward us, that they are knowledgeable, and that they are trustworthy, When we moved here to Ottawa, one priority for us as a family was to find a good dentist. It just happened that the dentist located nearest to our house was someone with whom we had a family connection going way back many years. He was very well respected in the community. Everyone was jostling to get on his list and to get into his clinic. He kindly invited us in and we had our checkups and so on. And we just thought, this is the best dentist we have ever had in our whole lives. He is just outstanding. Anyway, we'd been here just a little over a year when he shared with us the news that he was planning to retire. He was selling the practice. He was winding down. Now, for as long as we had him, if you know a great dentist, let us know. For as long as we had him, he was great, but he's going to be gone this summer. It's a high-trust relationship, but we've seen it's going to be a very transient one, a very temporary one. As believers, there's no greater relationship of trust than our relationship with the Lord himself. We take him at his word. We stake our future on his promises. We entrust our very selves to him for time and for eternity. And at the core of our willingness to do that is the belief that the one whom we trust will never cease to be. The one whom we trust has power over the future, so that his promises and his plans can never be frustrated, can never be undermined. Now, it's important for us to see that our confidence is not simply that God is everlasting, so that as long as time endures, he will still be around. No, our confidence goes even further than that. It is that our God is the eternal God, the God who exists beyond time and holds time in his hand. You see, the eternity of God tells us that God's plans are in no way subject to change or to variation of any kind. He is the God who simply is. So when he promises that he will save us at the final day, if we belong to him, he sees that day already. He speaks of what he knows. It is in some sense already present to him. His power now extends to that coming day. And so his saving work, it is as good as complete. Or to look at it from another angle. When God accepts you and accepts me into his family, when he sets his love upon us, his eternity means that his acceptance of us is in no way dependent upon our future performance. It's not as though he might change his mind if down the road we fail him miserably. No, when he saves us, he sees the whole of our lives before his eternal gaze. He knows what we will do. He knows what we will become. And he sets his love upon us despite all the future failings and sins that he knows are yet to come. We believe that the scripture teaches that true believers cannot lose their salvation, have eternal security. And God's eternity is at the heart of that confidence the present and future work of God, which for us and to our eyes look like a great succession of action, they are actually part of the coherent activity and reality of the eternal God who simply is. Now I hope we can give time and thought another week to the idea that God does not change to his immutability. But all this is tied together. They're all related. And the glorious truth, as Hebrews 13 teaches us, is that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. The CBC published an article this week with a reassuring headline, Why the Canada Pension Plan Will Still Be Solvent and Then Some When You Retire. Now, that is very nice to read. And we'll all take some comfort from that. But we can all have these niggling doubts about our security for the future in financial terms, can't we? Plenty of company pension pots have been raided. Plenty of retirement plans have run out of money before now. And the truth is, as we all know, anything can happen. But when we entrust ourselves to the eternal God who does not change, who is the same God who holds the end of time in his hand, well, we know that the future is secure we know that we can stake everything on his promises. One of the great bridges spanning the Ottawa River is the Chaudière Bridge, supported by great masonry arches. The current bridge and its predecessors have been safely carrying traffic over the Ottawa River for the best part of two centuries. But the recent flooding, you may have read or seen if you got caught in a traffic jam down there as we did recently, the recent flooding has compromised the masonry. And the bridge has been closed until further notice. And of course, as you look at the raging waters of the river below, the thought of a collapse is too terrible to contemplate. Much better to close it. Deuteronomy 33, 27 proclaims to the people of God the supremely comforting truth that the eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. Here is our security for time and for eternity. Here is our refuge in the storms of life. Here is our sure and our steadfast hope. We know the one who is eternal, whose arms beneath us are everlasting.
1: You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths and the first part of a message called The Eternal God. Maybe you joined us late, or you missed part of the broadcast, or you just want to go back and listen again. You can do that at EncounterTheTruth.org. Well, Jonathan, I know that you are passionate about Encounter the Truth's daily broadcast.
0: Well, I certainly am, Steve. And if I could take a moment to speak directly to our listeners today, please let me say that my heartbeat for you is to know God more deeply to encounter Him in a fresh, new way through His Word. And that's why we take the time to study the Bible together, because knowing God more deeply and personally, encountering Him, happens as we engage with His Word, the Bible. So if I might just ask you, if you have encountered the Lord through these broadcasts, would you please take a moment and just let us know you can't imagine what an encouragement it is to our team when we hear of lives touched by what we hope is the daily, clear, life-changing teaching of the Word of God.
1: Well, that is what it's all about, right? Grasping the gospel, understanding God's Word. And if you have been touched by this program, I want to ask you to consider not only that word of encouragement, but also a gift as well, because we do depend on your financial generosity to keep Jonathan's teaching on the station. You can support the ministry when you call us at 1-833-998-7884. That's 833-99-TRUTH. Or through our website, EncounterTheTruth.org. For Jonathan Griffiths and our producer, Mark Bretta, I'm Steve Hiller. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time.